0: Listen to this voice, it's a Chicago voice, Stuart Diebeck. And to me, I think he's as close uh, to Nelson Algren in capturing the lyrical voice of Chicago past and Chicago present, at least in memory, as anyone. Stuart Diebeck, reading from a passage from his new collection of, what's well, more than short stories, They're all related in a way, we'll talk about that. It's called The Coast of Chicago, published by Knopf. Stuart Dybeck reading. Now, this is more as Stuart Dybeck reads a sequence called Amnesia from a story, the, the long story in the book called Hot Ice. That's a memory in a sense. It's more than just nostalgia here. It's something, it's something that was. Oh, I Edison hope so, yeah. yeah. In, in a way, this is from the book the coast of chicago you're talking about a certain community a neighbor an ethnic neighborhood we think of chicago city of
1: neighborhoods it's right. a
0: typical well, southwest side it was wasn't it
1: mm-hmm. right around the courthouse uh, the jail on 26th in california and the jail plays a role
0: here it does, too. does right but and it also beca- it, it was urbanly
1: renewed sort of it was up. S- sort of is the yeah. operative word there yeah <laughs> It was urbanly renewed in, in ongoing stages that never seemed completed. And uh, the, the neighborhood itself was really seemed to be, and I think this is true of much of the South Side, seemed to be weighted more towards industry than towards homes. And uh, it seems that the homes were more the afterthought. So. And it, it, uh,
0: this is the neighborhood you remember. And it also was changing. Mm-hmm. It had been primarily Slavic right, Polish and Bohemian. And a little German, some German, mm-hmm. and then was becoming Hispanic, mm-hmm. primarily Mexican actually, and Mexican, right. and so this is the basis. You know, I think it was Joseph Coates of the Tribune, a very perceptive critic, or someone else who spoke of thinking of of uh, Weinsburg, Ohio, uh-huh. Sherwood sure Anderson, or Dubliners of Joyce, right? Because they're not simply stories; they're connecting
1: links, are they not? Yeah, it's a, it's I, I kind of what I was after was a. <laughs> Was that out of the little fragments some kind of an overall vision maybe would, would rise up out of the book? You know, I remember the previous book you wrote called, a great title
0: too, Childhood and Other Neighborhoods. Uh-huh. And there's, the,
1: there's an epigraph you use here, the, the, the Machado whole, quote. Yeah. yeah, I had the wrong quote. Out of the whole of memory there's one thing worthwhile, the great gift of calling back dreams. So that's what you're doing here is calling back dreams basically, isn't that it? I, I guess I, I, that's what I try to do,
0: yeah. Because it has a sort of dreamy effect. Right, right. Y- right. You have brief You have brief uh, vignettes, I guess mm-hmm. you'd call them, right. if there was a, on stage. Uh-huh. And then you have sh- stories that are longer in length, but all related to this community. Right. Babo and the boy, Bobovich, the very mm-hmm. opening, very mm-hmm. brief. Mm-hmm. It's about a street called Firewell, mm-hmm. and a certain guy. Mm-hmm. And who is this guy? Because he represents...
1: Well, he, he's the, really a composite portrait. And uh, I, I don't know if you remember the old um, uh, c- communist bookstore, but that, that kind of figured partly in there. That was in that neighborhood. So it, w- it was a... it's The modern bookstore. The modern bookstore. That's yeah. what it was called, right. The yeah. modern bookstore, Lou Diskin. So there's a bit of a, a composite between uh, bookstore owners and professors and things. But I, you know, uh, and... But I did know a fellow who lived on Farwell. This guy you call Babo or Bobovich,
0: this right. guy who came from New That's what your book has throughout. A lot of old world and an industrial community and neighborhood. Old world and new. That It's, it's the impinging, so mm-hmm. it's a question of your grandmother and others.
1: Right, right. Well, there, there's also this, I think, this constant sense in Chicago that you talked about with the tiny neighborhoods, that, there's all, that it's a city of honeycombed with borders. And so as you move through the city, and there's, there's repeated border crossings. And I, I think one of the things I was trying to catch was that sense of these these little enclaves and the constant crossing. E, e, even just going blocks, you're crossing borders. And so it's like you're going in a different country.
0: Right. So uh, th- we know there were many kids in neighborhoods, not just ghetto uh, black kids right, today, sure. but kids in many neighborhoods then who never left that community. Exactly right. Yeah. And,
1: and, and um, I, I noticed that, in fact, when I was a caseworker, that it, it, it was irrespective of race, um, that, that it just it just happened, that the kids in the, in the let's see, it was a caseworker around 39th and Cottage Grove. They were within sight of downtown. A lot of them had never been downtown. And it was the same thing for us. The, uh, Is that
0: how it began, you were a caseworker?
1: Uh, I mean, this was later after I.
0: Yeah, after you started writing. Right. Oh, I thought it was the casework that led to writing. No,
1: no, it wasn't. It was uh, the, the two kind of went on simultaneously. I a caseworker by day, and I was yeah. r- scribbling by night. So.
0: so, in your writing, let's start. Uh, we have the picture of the sky. Uh, just typical, a typical phrase here. Not typical phrase, atypical, I should say. But it's a Dybeckian phrase. Oh. The old guy is trying to show the kid, the boy, you, it could be that guy George in uh, Winesburg, Ohio, George Willard, Stuart Dybeck here. He says, on page five, Mm -hmm. above his desk, the old boy tacked up a street map of Odessa where he'd grown up beside the Black Sea. There were circles of red ink Along a few of the streets, I didn't ask that night. But later, when I knew him better, I asked what the red circles marked. Good bakeries, he said.
1: <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That, that right. aspect of That's it. Exactly right. Yeah, that that was uh, so tr- true. And even uh, where I, as I grew up, I mean, that we you would have these enormous arguments as whether Dressels was better than the uh, the, the other Czech yeah. bakery and so on and so forth. So we're coming to the first a story as such is called chopin in
0: winter mm-hmm. and this that as an old raffish uh grandfather mm-hmm. who comes to visit uh, right. uh, the narrator's mother right. zia zia mm-hmm. and as a girl upstairs why don't you sort of set the
1: well it's a uh, story about uh i th- anybody who's lived in, in a huge apartment building i think realizes that uh, fr- frequently though your neighbors are behind doors you constantly hear these whispered fragments of conversations you smell their food you you, you hear their laughter you hear their arguments and I, I think that that's the sense that the story tries to capture in this particular story uh, a young boy has a crush on a college-age girl has uh, had an obvious gift for music and is kind of uh, raised out of her class her uh, immigrant class um, give, because of uh, scholarships, she's gone to Juilliard, and she's come back pregnant. Refuses to tell anybody who the father is, and he hears her playing Chopin repeatedly through this the. This is the neighbor's uh, daughter. So the, the landlady's daughter. The actually.
0: landlady, who's up next apartment upstairs, probably.
1: Uh, right on the top. On the fifth top. floor. Yeah.
0: And through the wo- that's, so it's voices and sounds mm-hmm. that are your book that we hear right. through it, and so right. in where where you or this young kid lives with his mother and his uh, very raffish and colorful
1: grandfather's been around right right he's 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 a wanderer he's uh, he's come over as an immigrant but he's really remained remained a wanderer and uh, he he drops in uh kind of out of the blue as he's been doing through his throughout his life wearing all his clothes at once as these old guys were inclined to do and um, while the boy sits at the table listening to Chopin filter through the ceiling, the grandfather begins regaling him with um, some mix of both family history and, 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 the, and his own fantastic stories. And so that kind of um, mix of the Chopin and the, and the girl and the grandfather and his stories um, Become the the life of the boy.
0: The, the sounds that old man hears. He's been everywhere. He's he's uh, exactly right. He's been a Philippines a gold prospector, yeah, a Alaska, sailor, a yeah. uh, sort of a self-educated raffish randy. Exactly sort of guy. right. Yeah. Uh, but hearing that intimation of music, the sounds mm-hmm. for the pipes, mm-hmm. Chopin. Mm-hmm. He says the grand valse or something.
1: Uh-huh.
0: That sort of. Heats his blood.
1: Exactly right. And yep.
0: rekindles his memory.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which perhaps a little bit of that dial. Why don't you say, page 19, I'm taking offhand. Okay. Uh, why don't you do the old, or you do the boy, or, or why don't you read it? Each night Chopin. Uh,
1: All right, this would be Jaja talking.
0: Jaja's the old man. Oh, Jaja's I, the old man. It means grandfather, oh, grandfather. That means that's grandfather. Oh, that means grandfather. That's Jaja. The, uh,
1: Jaja and Bouchard.
0: Jaja, <laughs> so this, grandmother. Right. And as you write, he, uh, stood, he rambled on about a flat and e flatten sharps and opuses, and this kid's working on his homework, but something's happened at that moment right. in that kitchen or it's that room exactly there. Exactly right. The old man is suddenly, oh, that stuff buried, because of this strange girl. There doesn't know mm. upstairs.
1: Well, in fact, I think you're never really quite 100% sure how much of the music the boy actually hears and how much of the interior... Of Of the magical qualities that his jaja is giving it that he hears, but because it's coming through muffled and but by the end of the uh, their relationship, he begins identifying all of Chopin's uh, different kinds of music still.
0: See, It's as though yeah that as you say, you don't know how much is heard, but even uh, that touch again, you come back to that epigraph of Machado that you used in the very beginning there right
1: well, that, exactly. That, uh,
0: the great gift of calling back dreams. Right. If I were to choose one noun, one word to describe your story, dreamlike, mm-hmm. that is the realistic story. Right. We'll hear some more of the, of the guys, right. you know, or the narrator or the, mm-hmm. uh, the writer, this kid in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there's a dreamlike calling back dreams.
1: Right. Well, I'd, I'd like them to be dreams that rise out of reality. Um, so that and what I like about that quote is the paralleling of memory and dream, two states that we wouldn't actually call a consciousness, and yet each one in its own way is more is as intense as anything that that we would call yeah. you know the, the here and now.: the
0: Wasn't that phrase used about Joyce that he was dreaming awake? I think right. That's the phrase he was dreaming awake right. Ex-
1: And exactly. thats in a sense right. is what you are. Yeah it seems to me. Right. John Gardner yeah. says that's what the, in his book, The Craft of Fiction says, that's that's what the whole act of writing fiction is, is, is making a waking dream for the reader. Yeah. And so the story, of course,
0: this girl, you don't know much about her, how she got into trouble, mm-hmm. and there's the shame. Now here's mm-hmm. old, or new world too, but especially old world shame, as mm-hmm. part of it too, mm-hmm. isn't it? Is there something you wanted to read from that? No. Oh. Right. Well, I think about the old world shame mm-hmm. and also as a touchier or something else isn't there she was going beyond her class
1: exactly and the, her mother is very aware of that that um, and is driving her to propel herself and and the the tremendous disappointment her mother feels is because she she sees this opportunity to have risen out to really have joined america the way she has the way the mother who's an immigrant has not been able to do and she's she sees her daughter, from her point of view, ruining her chances. Yeah, that's part of it too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Becoming an American, but also
0: knowing your place, strangely right. enough. Right. But there's something about that piano, though.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We know it, it's a three-flat, let's say a three-flat, mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a landlady. Mm-hmm. We know very often the landlady who's widowed or where the husband who's worked, he may have been the stockyards or the steel mill, mm-hmm. saved and they'd become landlords and rent generally to the son-in-law and the daughter downstairs exactly to right. someone else, yeah. making it, but the piano, uh-huh. you know, that's something else, isn't the daughter and piano, because that's uh-huh. that extra
1: touch. Right, well that's that whole, let's say the dimension of their dreams, or at least of the mother's dreams, that somehow the piano represents that touch of luxury, of art, yeah. that that really their lives uh, which are which are so committed to survival, um, it's a risk for them to to uh, in, in, in indulge in that artistic dimension. And
0: so one day this girl called Marcy, mm-hmm. who's pregnant, disappears right. We don't know where right. and this point no one knows. And the old man sort of he sort of fades out.
1: Exactly right. Mm-hmm. He fades yeah, out. Right, yeah. so both and, of them disappear from the boy's life. And why don't
0: life. you read on page, bottom of thir- the, the ending of the story, the last paragraph. That starts on page 32. And it's Start the reading. end of this opening
1: story called Chopin and Winter. Okay, this is, this is the boy now after uh, he's been deserted by both Marcy and his f- grandfather. It took time for the music to fade. I kept catching wisps of it in the air shaft, behind walls and ceilings, under bathwater. Echoes traveled the pipes and wallpapered chutes, the bricked-up flues and dark hallways. Mrs. Kubiak's building seemed riddled with its secret passageways, and when the music finally disappeared its channels remained conveying silence, not an ordinary silence of absence and emptiness, but a pure silence beyond daydream and memory, as intense as the music it replaced, which like music had the power to change whoever listened, It hushed the close-quartered racket of the old building. It had always been there behind the creaks and drafts and slamming doors, behind the staticky radios and the flushings and footsteps and crackling fat, behind the wails of vacuums and kettles and babies, and the voices with their scraps of conversation and arguments and laughter floating out of flats where people locked themselves in with all that was private. Even after I no longer missed her, I could still hear the silence left behind. Yeah.
0: Hearing the silence behind. But also through these cracks, that's the uh-huh. point, through these whispers.
1: Right. Well, that seems to me, and uh, I, I like the image of the story because it seemed to me so true of, of, of so much human communication that, that we only hear those, the, the little yeah. f- whispers coming out. We don't yeah. really hear the full conversation, the full life. I guess to Stuart Diebecken, he's a voice fresh voice, a new voice.
0: And the previous book, Bui, again, connecting, is called Childhood and Other Neighborhoods. The new book is called The Coast of Chicago, published by Knopf. And the comparison with Winesburg, Ohio, is a very, to me, apt one, because it is about this guy, George Willard, and all the impressions and dreamy aspects
1: that he remembered. Right, there was a, a real magical dimension that Sherwood Anderson had yeah. in that book.
0: Yeah. And I suppose I have to ask you about
1: Nelson Algren. I assume he played a role in. Well, sure he did. He was. Uh, I mean, it would be hard to have grown up in Chicago and not to have been touched by Algren's work. Um, but the book I remember the most strongly was was his biggest one, "The Man with the Golden Arm." Man with the Golden Arm. Yeah. But, um, my brother, my brother and I, he was also a literary type of a guy. I mean, we we just read that book to. Yeah. We would read that book to each other at yeah. night. So this has that connecting, and uh, it's uh, it's just come
0: out. and It's getting wildly enthusiastic reviews, very much so. And they speak of the Chicago, the lyrical Chicago voice of Stuart Diedbeck. We heard that first story, and the, the little ones, these little page and a half of memory flashed like that old guy, mm-hmm. Bobovich, we speak of, right. and you have another... Uh, uh, a a y- a young a girl, fainting in a church. Uh-huh. Uh, that has kind of an erotic quality.
1: To right. It. Right. Well, uh, again, it's trying to catch some of those. Uh, just just the feeling of those churches on Sunday in the little neighborhoods. Uh, it, you, you know, when you talk about two and three flat places, when you go back to them, the scale of you can see how the church manages to tower over these little neighborhoods, so that the scale of the neighborhood really does say something significant about the power of religion in those little ethnic enclaves. It's true, especially in the ethnic
0: communities. we well, right. all over, I should say, all yeah. neighborhoods. Right. There's that steeple, right. or sometimes round. you know, I remember an Algernon saying within the view of something of the steeple of St. Columbanus, mm-hmm. and the various names of the churches right. that exactly. you right. yeah. In the
1: In this case, primarily Catholic, right. Roman, Catholic Roman Catholic, as right. well as some Greek Orthodox, right. too. Right, but when you see, I mean, when you see the uh, skyline of Chicago, the, the the steeples are now so dwarfed by corporate corporate buildings, but in the neighborhoods, they're still these giant, yeah. they, they still kind of retain their old towering, that that feeling of ascending. So, uh, I think that that story kind of tries to catch yeah, that's a little bit. What
0: you just said in the neighborhoods, the building, the tall, the edifice is the church. Right. The, the, right. And sometimes it's a round, sometimes angular, mm-hmm. very often that roundish. Mm-hmm. Touching heaven. Right. right. But in the in the downtown, and the money there is it there is no such thing as the church. That's the new church. Right. It's just That's a the new temple. Exactly right. Or <laughs> just these little steeples are dwarfed. Yeah. Yeah. So but but this Mass, there's certain kind of masses you talk about too. Mm-hmm. Even the different time for the masses had a different feeling. E-
1: exactly right. Yeah. The, the, the the one in, in this particular story is the, the kid thinks of it as the adult mass, and it's almost uh, a fashion show, uh, the, the way the parishioners are dressed. That was the 1115. The 1115.
0: Yeah. But then, this, somewhere you're the kid, you see this girl, and she faint, And toward the end, as they carry her out because she'd fainted,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you got that old woman in the babushka. Uh huh. Why don't you read that? It's kind of good. The holy name ushers were rushing from their stations because she had passed
1: out. Right. This woman has she she has a habit of fainting just about every Sun Sunday. And this kid has a he's enamored by her.
0: Well, right there, there's a picture, there's a painting. You uh-huh. see the old woman <laughs> pulling down because of her dress, we know, right. as she was being carried, went up. Right, exactly, uh, up right. To her thighs, uh-huh. and also there is that touch of eroticism there too. with This kid,
1: oh, very. It's, it should be very strong actually, yeah. because he's he's kind of already losing his faith, yeah. and he's just um, she keeps him from being totally bored. And while everybody's praying, he's kind of. Um, Gently oogling this woman from the choir, he just keeps an eye on her, and, and 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 which is the reason why more than any of the other people, he sees the stages of her fainting. Yeah,
0: oh, It's also involving his his also falling away from the faith exactly as right. Well, right, but also that picture of the old woman in the babushka right pulling down. Yep, and you just see that <laughs> the, quickly.
1: decorum must be kept. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but there's one sequence that almost all critics talk about, and that's also the. Uh, the death of the right fielder. Mm-hmm. Now we know about sandlot baseball games. So the right fielder gets—he's the most, the least apt. Uh, he's the—he's the most inept, it, right? In sandlot ball. Yeah. sandlot ball, because uh-huh. fewer balls come to anybody. Right. So right. this kid uh, has an attack on the field. Uh huh. The right fielder.
1: Right. And they—there uh, he is.
0: He dies.
1: Right. Well, they walk out there and they find him dead. They, they wonder why all... I mean, the first sentence is, after too many balls went out and never came back, we went out to check. Yeah. This idea that balls would be hit and nobody's throwing them back in, and they find him lying there. And where, where, that's how... Yeah, I had the wrong page there.
0: I'm looking for that page called uh, Death of the Right Field." It's a short story. Yeah. But it, uh, It's on page and they go uh, 35. And then they find him, but the part that's so funny... And he, you tell about how little how little talent is needed to play right field, mm-hmm. say in contrast to shortstop or, or center field. But on page 36,
1: mm-hmm.
0: no matter who pulled the trigger, you don't know what it was. It right. may have been a heart attack or
1: something. But in the middle of that page 30, why don't you read that passage? Okay, they're trying to figure out exactly what killed them. And this, I think part of what this story is about is how you make myths and legends up in neighborhoods. Now, that's a funny line. And several, I think it was Joseph Coates, others pointed that
0: out. It's <laughs> a funny line. Oh, of course, leukemia is something special.
1: Yeah, not only that, but there have been so many shows in which, yeah. you know, a great athlete is. And, and, and tragically, it's yeah. been true, too. Yeah. But yeah. but it's, it, it, I mean. The, but they center
0: fielder, you right, see? Right. Or let's say, I'd say, shortstop.
1: Uh huh. You know. Exactly right. The glamour or, or positions. A
0: yep. star pitcher. Yep. But not a right fielder. Not a right fielder. <laughs> that is not a right fielder in the Sandlot games, <laughs> no, you know. No so that's the and also about losers didn't want to be identified with a loser this is interesting so he denied being cubs
1: <laughs> you know. Righty.
0: but here see here's the part i like and uh, this way that's all granny to me he lacked the sense of humor for that for being a loser lacked the perverse pride of sticking for losers season after season breeds and the love now to me that's what your story is about too because mm-hmm. Kids who were losers, a great many, right. come to them exactly in that great story called yeah. Blight mm-hmm. and the big one called Hot Ice. Right. Uh, kids of a gang, right? But the loser, there's a humor. Mm-hmm. Come back to Aldrin for a minute. He'd always lose. I'm sorry, but he, he, said he was a great poker player. He was terrible. Uh-huh. He'd lose because he was a poet. Uh-huh. <laughs> Poets can't win at poker. Right. Accountants <laughs> win at poker. Right, and so. But losing had its own kind of perverse humor. That's what you're pointing out here.
1: Eh? I right exactly, and I I mean I had a a group of friends that um, proudly referred to themselves as the screw ups. Yeah. And that was you know that was kind of how they their identity came out of that. There's a line in that story too that has something to do with that, which which is. Uh, the narrator wonders how many other great ones have gone down in the obscurity of their neighborhoods, and I, I like that idea. You just, you, yeah. you just never know how much yeah. talent really never makes it to the surface. You know,
0: there's what in in uh, the story called Blight, mm-hmm. which is a, before that. Uh, you have these little again these little one two page reflections, mm-hmm. and one is about the bottle caps, right? And we know these bottle caps, especially beer bottle caps, uh-huh. were always saved. You get these great names
1: of the past. Uh huh.
0: But this he finds his kid brother though. Uh
1: huh. Has stolen a batch and uses them for what? For... Well, he's, he he his kid brother is stealing his bottle caps, and he finally makes him confess why he's taking them. And he says, "I've been using them as tombstones, in my insect graveyard." But again, it's that sense of ritual and that you know that. That legend that that you just make up, you know why why have bottle caps become so important to a boy, and yet if, when you watch maybe girls do this too, I just don 't know, but I mean I have a nine year old now and I see him doing the same popsicle sticks, you know they become this
0: you uh, spoke of ritual and legend, mm-hmm. and of course, that's what your book's about too mm. legends right myth that very much about, things yeah. called city myths, right,
1: yeah, right. yeah. Right.
0: especially when uh, the parent—that's another kind of—as of an old world, mm-hmm. becoming American, right. and the kid is the first generation born here, right. and that's a lot of this in it. Mm-hmm. So it's the old, new, legend, myth, becoming, mm-hmm. and also that uh, dreaming. It's right. So we come to blight, and blight—the very title itself. Uh, so it's uh, there are several people they have a little band of their own. There's a guy named Ziggy. Now, Ziggy, he's a little, a little off, I mean a little strange, isn't he?
1: Well, Ziggy he's, he's the he is, going back to the, this religious idea, he's kind of the religious guy of the group. He's, he's off there and uh, he, he's a deeply, he, he's a kind of character who has a lot of empathy. He's worrying about the people starving in China and worried about bag ladies, something that none of these other guys care about too much. He has prophetic dreams. One of his prophetic dreams, you know, is... as
0: you say that talking to Stewart, I think of something Woody Guthrie wrote in "Bound for Glory." There was this guy during the deep, deep depression, as he left Oklahoma, he was wandering, and the jodes were going off. That—that that is, the right. jode people kind uh-huh. of were going off. There was this one guy, and the and the and the drought is there, and this guy says, "I see things." He's got a newsreel in his head. Mm-hmm. The guy, you think I'm touched? like Muley Graves, you think I'm goofy. He's no, you're not. You're prophetic. Uh-huh. You see, the guy saw newsreels of all kinds right, of riots right, and things right, taken. Right.
1: So Ziggy is kind of like that. Yeah, he, he is. He's 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 got, he, in fact, Ziggy is, Ziggy is, of all these characters, the one closest to that sense of dream.
0: Why don't you, you, you read that, after,
1: Ziggy got hit on the
0: head once, and he'd recount his dreams. Of, why don't you do that on page 43? When he'd wake up? Yeah, and he goes, then he goes on to his... Oh, after... Uh, uh, to, then he, he envisions all these things. All right. Yeah, Ziggy had always worried about things no one else cared about, like the population explosion, people starving in India, the world blowing up. We'd be walking along down 22nd a past an alley, and Ziggy would say, see that? See what? Mayor Daly scrounging through garbage. <laughs> We'd all turn back and look, we to see a bag lady picking through the cans. But he's still in the way I could see it from Ziggy's point of view. And so this is what Ziggy is, right. he news urban renewal is going on in uh-huh. his mind. Uh-huh. he sees this, so this yep. is Zig, the dreamer. Since you mentioned, it's very funny, you mentioned the uh, fear of the atomic bomb the night the Sox won the pennant, that was 1959. Right. Well, we were up, WFMT was up on, a, and I had a night show then, uh-huh. 1959. And Marty Robinson was engineering it that night, working nights at WFMT 221 North LaSalle. And we came down, and he had the TV on. They beat Cleveland. The, and you got it here, you got a passage in here by the way. Right. Mm-hmm. But that night, police com- uh, Fire Commissioner Quinn decided to sound uh, the whistles and bells to celebrate the pennant. But the Cold War was still pretty strong. then few thought the Russians are coming mm-hmm. as an invasion. People had heart attacks. That
1: oh, day. sure. I, I, what killed me about it was I remember that um, that after all the drills we'd had jumping under our desks at school and saying the Rosary when the whistles blew and all the people stacking up cases of beer in their basement bomb shelters, what happened in my neighborhood was everybody ran out. they wanted to see it. <laughs> Oh, they were out there, and they mean—they're I mean, crying and being hysterical. But they wanted to but see the bomb. They wanted to see the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 none of them followed procedures. They... But this was the
0: time when the fireman, fire commissioner, Quinn, decided to sound the alarm. Yeah. So you got that, in a, and Ziggy wasn't the same after that. <laughs> No, for first Ziggy, Ziggy—he's had this prophetic dream, and here he's, the sirens go off. we got to hear more of the stories, the dreamlike stories, uh, the calling back memory stories and flashes of Stuart Dybeck, a wonderful Chicago writer. The Coast of Chicago was his new book by Knopf. In that same story, Blight, you got a guy named Dijo,
1: uh-huh,
0: and he wants to write something. Exactly right. A great American novel, something by I Dig Beauty.
1: Uh huh. Well, his great American novel starts with the line, the dawn rises like sick old men playing in their underwear on the rooftops. <laughs> and he's he's kind of the writer of the group.
0: But these guys are serious. The guy, because he's looking for words now. Uh-huh. Words, and they have this, uh, they have this, a band. They also aware of the pop music at the time.
1: Right, right. But
0: now the neighborhood changes. The gang changes. Now there are a couple of Mexican-American kids in the uh, in the gang now, aren't mm-hmm. there?
1: Well, the drummer See? is a guy named Pepper yeah. Rosado. He's half yeah. Polish and half Mexican.
0: So. so now the change is also making itself felt in the personnel.
1: Sure. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. And um, you're going to read a piece there. Uh,
0: Weren't you? I, I can read the beauty the, I, I, re, I like your reading from this. Well, that's the story. Uh, and also, there's a crazy dream. They get this crazy Chevy. Uh huh. And that's because they, they want to fix it, but finally they have to get rid of it.
1: Right. Well, the transmission falls out on 39th. <laughs> so they push it off a railroad bridge.
0: And, But in it is the guy's saxophone.
1: Right. They they get so involved in in uh, this whole idea of giving the car a proper burial in the drainage canal that he forgets a saxophone is in the trunk.
0: Yeah, but you mentioned Ziggy being religious. We'll mm-hmm. come to someone later on, Pancho, right? In the great the great story, Hot Ice, mm-hmm. that won all sorts of national awards, mm-hmm. as a story. But here he he uh, you got him reading Thomas Merton. How did that all of a sudden comes in? He's reading Thomas Merton. Well, hears about Gethsemane Abbey.
1: Exactly. He, this is after the sirens have gone off. It so shatters him that uh, it it he has what probably in those days would have been called a nervous breakdown at, in, in his late teen years. And he goes back to his early uh, re- religious uh, training to try to survive it. And uh, one of the local priests gives him Thomas Merton's book. And af- as soon as he reads it, he realizes that he what he wants to do is go to the. Uh, Abbey at Gethsemane and take the vow of silence. Of course, the kid's only seventeen or eighteen yeah. years old at this time, but uh he as if in the story, he actually sets out on this quest.
0: And a little again, we come to these brief things. These almost they almost lead into the longer stories. uh the, they're
1: In part, that's part in of in the way, intention. The mood, right? Like I, you,
0: how you became you, as how you became an usher. Were you a, a movie usher? I
1: wasn't. When, I wasn't, but I was a movie fanatic, and it, yeah. it seems that um, movie stories keep popping up in everything I write. So.
0: When you have one, or you have several references to the movies, uh, one was that uh, surreal sequence. What's that called? The surreal one, dealing with these avant-garden oh bijou huh bijou, bijou. bijou. right right and because you, you, you deliberately take the name it seems to me right. of a small town a typical movie theater name of right. early in the century right bijou.
1: right the the earlier book had one called horror movie in which a black kid who's ap- has lost his home goes into a movie theater and to see a horror movie just to get off the streets and at the end of the movie, it's as if the monsters are chasing him down uh, some South Side Street. So it's, it's a reoccurring uh, yeah. idea. And this from... one, the, the Usher, it's just a page and a half, uh-huh. but it's very funny.
0: Uh, it's the best description what Usher does in a darkened theater uh-huh. you know, with the flashlight. They taught him to tread softly on popcorn to become a shadow, as transparent as soundtrack music, so his corporeal body never eclipsed the projectionist's beam. And they taught him how to slide among lovers. I like that. Taught him a swan dive, a daredevil merger of Fred Astaire and Tarzan from the balcony over the audience of dreamers dreaming the one dream, and to got, taught him to glide above that trance, searching for an empty seat, part of a secret society. Yeah. yeah, that's a good description Thank of you. the usher yeah. with with the and so that lead That was a
1: job I always wanted. I think to to be an usher. To be an the usher,
0: theater, yeah. and so um, all sorts of influences on and movies, and of course visiting the Art Institute, mm-hmm. which leads of course to Nighthawks, right. which is quite right, obviously a takeoff mm-hmm. on Hopper's, right. which the original being the Art Institute, that classic, right, uh, which is my um, American favorite. Same here, yeah. actually. And so Nighthawks, now this becomes something different, this story that has with mm-hmm. different subheadings, mm-hmm. silhouettes and
1: niche. Right, Well but besides the Hopper influence, the other influence was when I wrote that story, Chopin and Winter, which you talked about earlier, I'd listened to Chopin's music and the nocturnes were my favorites, and I thought, how, how about if one tried to write a series of fictional nocturnes? That is, stories that investigate night, are set at night, have the mood of night, and I think that's what Nighthawks is partly, an attempt to do. And so
0: that's what you that's what you were do- doing. So mm-hmm. from that, you have... I was thinking maybe you should read part of it. This You speak of apparitions here, too. Mm-hmm. And there, again, another aspect of uh, the dreams you're talking right. about. Apparitions. And it's just... I'm thinking of any, there's no one part. Others had their own name for shadows. Oh, that's again past. It's funny. I know what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of myself looking at Nighthawks, and I'm mm-hmm. talking to a younger guy who's a writer, uh, that Hopper's Nighthawks. To me, it's a memory of this diner. hmm Below the hotel where I lived, mm-hmm. an all night, obviously all night diner. Right. And there was the guy bending that counterman, as you see in the painting. And I remember this guy, Al, whatever his name mm-hmm. was, the counterman right. bending, and a couple of loners sitting that night. And sure enough, there was a woman outside mm-hmm. under a light. Mm-hmm. You know, she was a, a
1: hooker right. at the time there. Well, what I love about that painting is that if anybody's ever seen the diner knows that that's a very accurate representation of a diner. And yet it's surrounded by this magical light, so it, it combines those two dimensions—the real and the, yeah. the fanta- and the magical—and
0: it's the light that accentuates the loneliness. Right. Oh, it and sure again does. Again, we come yeah. to those figures, yeah. but there's now we come to the detachment of Hopper right. that you have in the stories and the memory of a—it's the there and yet a lonesome valley idea. Mm-hmm. You got to cross that lonesome <laughs> right. valley, yeah. and. The old neighborhood and a changing one. And it finally leads up to the actual visit toward the very end, leads up to the actual picture Uh in Nighthawk. Right, right. But in the chapter, the the sequence called Insomnia, part of the Nighthawk book, Uh on page 96, Uh perhaps you could even read just a couple of passages there. All right. page 96 see some of these sh- uh, stories of stuart dybeck have sort of subheadings
1: yeah well the first paragraph tries to catch that hopperish feel and insomnia
0: and of course there again you have uh you think there's a connection right looking for not not that right and well you did of course i assume this is autobiographical the, uh the chapter of the the paragraph just before the one you
1: started reading in Nighthawks, but in the previous set in season. the art institute. Yeah, I would. I yeah, actually, it is, it is. It awesome. is. It is. It is autobiographical, and, and there's. I think it, that painting is even heightened because uh, I, I. I mean, my other favorites there are the impressionists, but then you're you're so full of these light and gardens, yeah. and suddenly you confront this dark, dark painting, yeah. which has a different kind of light, and it's it, it even magnifies the Why effect. Why don't you
0: read that? in um, 95. That last. Paragraph.
1: Yet I was uh, yet I would always end my walk through the paintings, standing before the diner in Edward Hopper's nighthawks. Perhaps I needed its darkness to balance the radiance of the other paintings. It was night in Hopper's painting. The diner illuminated the dark city corner with a stark light it didn't seem capable of throwing on its own. Three customers sat at the counter as if waiting, not for something to begin, but rather to end. And I knew how effortless it would be to open my eyes and find myself waiting there too.
0: Yeah, it's funny. it has that uh, longing to it. And we're talking to Stuart Dybeck, and before the hour's up, we got to get to that story called "Hot Ice," which is a classic. And this is a collection of—I guess—say, short stories, and yet they're all related, aren't
1: they? Well, I, you know, I'd kind of try to make a distinction yeah. between a collection, and a, and a, a collection of stories and a book of stories. I'd call it Dubliners a book of stories, and I'd call uh, Winesburg oh, a book of stories. And this is a book of stories. I, I, I'd like it uh, yeah. to think it was I a book of stories.
0: So. Well, others do, too. The Coast of Chicago is the name of it, and Knopf, the Publishers. You mentioned legend, mm-hmm. the opening sequence of Saints. Right. There's always a story a legend
1: somewhere that's
0: supernatural oh yeah I, I think that's part and of this t- about tell about that girl who was yeah. sort of a saint
1: well the legend in this story is that um, a, a girl um, has died in the Douglas Park Lagoon and her immigrant father has found her body taken it on a streetcar and he's the owner of an ice house and he's um, his grief has made him sealer in a block of ice and then over the next generations people in the neighborhood begin ascribing miracles to this uh saint who's now sealed in a block of ice the the implication is that she kind of died defending her virginity against the couple of guys who had her out in a rowboat
0: and so she's a and uh story is as a guy big on tech, who drinks a lot i worked in the ice house right and he gets caught in it mm-hmm. and it's the warmth as i understand it
1: mm-hmm.
0: he sees her right uh, this virgin right. in the block of ice and it's her presence that warms him right. and keeps him from freezing to death uh-huh. and the owner, the owner comes and says you're fired uh-huh. so yeah. that's how the legend begins right and now we come to the guys mm-hmm. in the by the, you know Nelson's au short story the devil how the devil oh came of course. To Street? I thought of that yeah he knew that yeah sure I thought of that because there's also a, a legend story. you know exactly right it becomes. Yeah. So now we come to the guys, and there's Pancho and Manny, his brother. Now Pancho is, I take it, a Hispanic kid. He's Pancho and Manny,
1: they're both they're yeah. both Hispanics. Yeah. yeah, they're brothers.
0: And and uh, the other kids are there. Uh,
1: Eddie Capusti, Eddie and he's Polish.
0: Who's Eddie's sort of this the connecting link figure. Eddie, mm-hmm. right, close to you, I'd say Eddie, in a way. P- probably,
1: yeah, it would be but, easier for me to identify. But then we come I
0: mean. to Pancho, and we. The background of the whole story is this legend mm-hmm. of a girl right buried in that block of ice right. that's the background mm-hmm. and now we come to the real life of these kids. Pancho is a very religious kid. He looks like an angel as an old Well, he's
1: a beautiful looking kid um, yeah. for for one thing and the nuns have the nuns have loved Pancho. But uh even though he's a religious kid, he's also gotten caught up in the dope dealing that's gone on in, the drug dealing that's gone on in that neighborhood. So he's got two sides to him. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so he's up in court.
0: He's, and his brother, uh, Manny, Manny is the cynic. Mm-hmm. But it's Pancho who's the one who ends up most destroyed. Oh, exactly
1: him. right. Um, in fact, the judge, even as he's senten- sentencing Pancho, Read says that. to him, you're going to be too pretty to send to jail. Yeah.
0: Read that. Oh, uh, he's up on page 134. All righty. Uh, he's given the old by this Korea time isn't it shortly after Korea Uh, Vietnam it's Vietnam time Mm
1: -hmm. and so what's happened at this point is that uh, Pancho has already been incarcerated in the in the in Bridewell now, that's all Grenian This is to me. It is. It is. <laughs> but you know, I I grew up by that by that yeah, jail, and we used yeah. to go listen to the trials for, for, for fun.
0: Well, you did. You lived near the jail, twenty six yeah, yeah. in and, California. And, and
1: we would actually go in yeah. and listen to the. You're not allowed to do that anymore because they, you know, but metal detectors. But the
0: and you got the guys, and of course you have crazy scenes, mm-hmm. and you're surreal. Mm-hmm. The hollering, right, up at the walls, right. trying to irritate. The right. guys, I think inmates right. hear them. Exactly. And they think these guys are calling back and they're dirty right. words and right. everything. and right. That's part of <laughs>
1: right.
0: their living. Mm-hmm. And the factories, well, that's crazy calling to jail. That's crazy sequence you got there. Mm-hmm. But then there's grief. You get to where did Pancho go? What happened to Pancho? Mm-hmm. And as you got that, you got city life. Let's uh-huh. talk of smelt fish, uh-huh. the smelt. Right. We know it's part of the Chicago scene, Right. the fisherman and that. So you have a crazy combination here, don't you? Uh-huh. There's there's the church, there's Pancho, the altar boy, the beautiful kid who is completely out of it and lost. Right. There're the factories looking like jails and jails like factories, and it's all in it. And, and finally it leads up to the very end, the boys, the legend still haunts them. The virgin preserved in the cake of ice. And Big Antek is now getting older. He, he believes it by now, doesn't he? The, the old boy worked there.
1: It, it, it seems that, that by the end of the story, whether Antek has made it up or not, Antek has come to believe his own, his own myth, his own legend.
0: And so he leads the boys to the ice house. And they had, right. Now they've been drinking quite a bit. Right, right. And here is the part, isn't it, where... This one that completes a circle, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it does. It's the, this, boys the are story starts with a legend and ends with them and investigating the, the legend. They're
0: gonna. They wanna. They wanna capture that girl, mm-hmm. the saint. Right. The saint, really, in a way, in that block of ice. Oh, sure. And sure. they it's steal that block of ice, isn't that it? Right. <laughs> yes. The, see, this has great, in a funny, crazy way, comic overtones too. Sad comic. Uh huh. And why don't you read that? The le- it ends with legends, and the last part they're stealing
1: that, and they want to bring her back. I oh. suppose to where she drowned. Okay, right. Well, they, well, they're 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 going to drown her properly. I suppose is what it is. Properly. They're going to release her into the lake, which is this this image of some kind of a pure body of water yeah. for them. That's how it ends. They had one that one to drown her properly.
0: Rowing a couple of sailors. The legend is she was with sailors. She was with sailors when, when she was tried first to
1: drowned. They assault right. her. Right.
0: And the boat capsized. Right. And so they're rowing like a couple of sailors. And we're talking to Stuart Diebeck. It's a very beautiful book of stories. Thank you, Stutz. The Coast of Chicago, Knopf, the publishers, and it's beauty. Thank you. Thank you.